Well, y'all, this is the last Sunday of 2020. Anybody ready for 2021? I've seen that everywhere. If we could just get past, somebody put on Facebook, I'm staying up till midnight to make sure that 2020 actually leaves us on, uh, on December the 31st. And so I'm really excited about the new year. But to kick us off, uh, to end us out, Jordan, Pastor Jordan, would you give it up for Pastor Jordan as he comes? He's going to end us out with a message this morning. Good morning. As I understand it, Pastor Josh is going to invite pastors from uh, every different denomination, and they're going to have an actual battle up here at the front at the battle of the denominations. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> uh, bow your head and close your eyes if you would, and let's pray together this morning. Lord, we come to you right now, and we thank you so much for bringing us all here together. Lord, we thank you for that beautiful worship that we got to experience. I pray that our hearts would be primed and ready to receive whatever it is that you have for us to receive, Lord. And we just thank you so much in advance for what you're going to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everyone said. Well, as Pastor Josh said, 2020 is coming to an end. And I believe a lot of us are probably thankful for that, right? Amen. So as, as we move into this coming year of, of 2021 and, and there's all this hope and joy and excitement, I just want us real quick to reflect back on what the year of 2020 looked like. I have a few real-life comparisons of if 2020 was. Okay, I have a, a few different pictures. So, Andrew, would you put the first picture up on the screen for us, please? So this is if 2020 was a slide. <laughs> the uh, cheese grater slide. All right, this is if 2020 was a pinata. There we go. Here's if 2020 was a scented candle. Take a look at that. <laughs> That's accurate right there. I almost had one that said if 2020 was a football team that featured a certain team from Dallas, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> that I'm, I'm just going to move right along, okay? <laughs> oh, man. So as a lot of you know, as we move into each year, we begin to pray and seek God on, on what it is that his vision is for our coming year. In 2019, we prayed and we sought God, and, and we believe what he showed us was that 2020 was the year of making a difference. Anyone who attends this church knows that 2020 was make a difference, 2020. Little did we know the year that was ahead of us, right? But God was still so faithful to complete this vision and enable us to make a difference in our community throughout 2020. Thinking back, we gave out thousands upon thousands of food boxes. We gave gifts, as Pastor Josh said, to almost 100 students in need through our angel tree. We housed evacuees during Hurricane Laura. We started a state-of-the-art live stream that goes all through America right now, and we have people watching everywhere. Shout out to our live stream audience that's watching right now, yes. Gave money to missions and made care packages and had our Make a Difference Community Service Day. All of that, God was faithful to enable us to do, right? Isn't God so good? So as we were moving out of this year of 2020 and we're praying for the year 2021 and seeking God, we believe that he gave us a word. And it's a real simple word on its surface, but there's a lot behind it. And so we're, we're excited to let you guys know that what we're praying and believing the theme for this year of, that's coming up is Renew 2021. A simple word, renew. Everyone say renew. Don't you know that there are a lot of people out there who are really, really desperate right now for some renewal in their lives. There are people who need hope. There are people who are downcast and discouraged and depressed, who are hurt, 
and broken and fearful and worried. And we believe that in 2021, in the middle of all that, that God wants Clawson Assembly of God to be a hub and a center for renewal and revival and joy and hope. Amen? We believe that he wants to use us and his body to bring that renewal and that joy that people are so desperate for right now. So I want to ask, if, if you have a prayer list, I want to ask you to add this to it, please, and that you would begin to pray for the year 2021. I have a few different prayer points if you would like to jot those down. Again, we're praying for it, and we'd appreciate it if you would join us as well. We're praying, number one, for God to renew our spirits. I love what Pastor Josh said a few Sundays ago, that if we want to see revival, it starts within us, right? The personal revival is what we must first see. So we are praying that God would renew and revive our spirits. Number two, we are praying that God would renew our homes for our homes that are struggling, that are broken, that are sick, or that are suffering right now, that he would bring renewal into our homes. And then finally, number three, that the Lord would use us to renew our community, that God would continue to allow us as a body to be able to make a difference, to bring renewal and hope and joy to our community in the coming year. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I know I just prayed, but let's pray for that vision just real quick. Lord, we come to you right now, and we pray for this coming year of 2021. Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would pour out your renewal upon your people, Lord, that you would make rivers in the dry wastelands, God, that we would experience a fresh hope, a fresh joy, a fresh excitement, a fresh revival, Lord, in our own spirits and in our homes and in this community, that you would let us be a center for that renewal in this coming year. And we thank you in advance for the amazing things that you are going to do through us in this coming year, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everyone said, amen. amen. Let's dive into the message today. Because this is our theme for the coming year, Pastor Josh and I are preaching a two-week series over the next two weeks that is focusing on our vision. So the title of this series is Renew, if you're taking notes, talking about this idea of, of renewal in our lives, in our homes, in our community. And the title of today's sermon is Reset. I highly, highly encourage you to take notes today. I believe that the Lord shared a lot of great things, and I'm very excited to share them with you. Everyone say reset. reset. The definition of reset is to set again, to make anew, to adjust and fix in a new and a different way. To reset. We're taking all the junk. We're taking all the old. We're taking 2020, right? And we're tossing it out. And we are turning off the old and turning on the new. That's what the definition of reset is. Anybody ever spent three hours on the phone with a customer service rep? And after three hours, they say, well, have you tried turning it on and turning it off? <laughs> right? And you just want to throw your phone across the room? Andrew is our resident tech guy, and I'm not technologically savvy. And so more often than not, I go to him with my issues of technology. And more often than not, he's like, have you reset it? Have you turned it on and turned it off? And I think, ah, oh, that's stupid. That's not going to work. And then it works. <laughs> and I'm embarrassed, right? The answer is to reset. Let me read that scripture that I just prayed during the prayer. Isaiah 43, verses 18 through 19. I love these scriptures. This was God's message to Israel during a time of drought, during their 2020, if you will. He says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new 
thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness. I will make rivers in the desert. Amen. 2020 is ending. 2021 is coming. And for a lot of people, it is time. It is long overdue for that renewal in your life, in your home. It is long over time to reset in some area of your life. I'm going to get into the points of this message right now. And today for our points, we're going to be looking at the story of a man who was at a low point, a very low point, who had the choice, do I reset, do I renew, or do I stay down? Today we're looking at the life of Peter. Would you turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 26 with me? Matthew 26, we're talking about Peter today. Anyone who knows me knows that uh, my favorite character in the Bible is Paul. I absolutely love Paul. To me, he is just a role model among role models. I love the Apostle Paul. But as often as I would like to think I'm Paul, I'm probably Peter. <laughs> Peter was messed up. Is anybody else in here messed up a little bit? Right? I, you know, I would love to be Paul, you know, telling the Ephesian elders that he has not stumbled or faltered and he's been a constant example. But I'm really more like Peter, like, Lord, you think you could send some fire down and burn them up right over there? <laughs> Lord, I just cut someone's ear off. You want to go work your magic right over there, right? I'm a lot more like Peter if we're just being honest. Now, Peter prided himself, and this is important to remember, in being the one who loved Jesus more than anyone else. That was Peter's point of pride. For all of his issues and his problems and all that stuff that he dealt with, he was a very passionate man. And so consequently, when he began to follow Jesus, he followed Jesus with a level of passion and zeal that the other apostles and disciples just didn't have. Peter loved the Lord. This is the one who walked on water, right? This is the one who Jesus said would be the rock on which he built his church. That's what he said about Peter. So you can imagine Peter's surprise when Jesus has this conversation with him. Let's look at verse 32 in Matthew 26. Peter prided himself in loving Jesus above everyone else. Verse 32, Jesus is talking. He says, but after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Oh, Peter. <laughs> A lot of us know where this story is going. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even knew me. Verse 35, no, Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Anyone ever been foolish enough to make a promise to God that you can't keep? It's the exact situation Peter was in. A lot of us know how this story ends. Let's jump down to verse 69 here. Verse 69 says, meanwhile, Peter was standing outside of the courtyard. This was after Jesus had been arrested. A servant girl came over and said to him, you were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said those, to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it. This time with an oath, I don't even know the man, he said. 
Verse 73, a little time later, one of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. I can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore, listen to this verse, a curse on me if I am lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Wow, that's heavy to read, isn't it? Interesting little fact, that was one of the only stories that was included in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Peter's denial. I feel like that was their way of being like, "Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm. Yeah, Peter, remember what you said? Look what I'm writing over here, right? (laughs) It's going down in history, chapter 26. Yeah, all those others may deny you, but I never will. I'm writing it down. (laughs) So let's get into the points here. We're starting number one, point number one, talking about Peter's reset. Number one, Peter denied. This was the catalyst that drove him into his low point. This was the catalyst that drove him into the sin and the shame. Now, with this point, it's easy to just kind of cast blame and almost some judgment on Peter, right? It's easy. It's human nature to say, oh, well, I would never do that, right? I would never deny Jesus no matter what. I never would. Peter just had issues, right? Peter must not have loved the Lord enough. He must not have really loved Jesus because me, I would never, ever do that. I love Jesus so much, right? It's easy just to kind of judge and write this off and say, oh, well, this isn't me. This doesn't apply to me. But let me ask you a question for for us who, who may think, well, he just didn't really love Jesus like he said. Anyone in here, by raise of hands, let's do a quick poll. Anyone in here ever given up their job? left their family and given up their home to live a homeless lifestyle to follow Jesus? Peter did that. Sounds like someone who loves the Lord to me, right? Anyone in here ever walked on water by raise of hands? Peter did that. Again, that sure sounds like a person who loves the Lord. Peter was the first disciple who made a profession of faith and acknowledged that, yes, Jesus is God. He was the first one to do that. Sounds like someone who loves Jesus. Here's the point that I'm making. Peter's failure was not proof that he didn't love Jesus. It's proof that even people who love Jesus fail. I'm going to say that. It's not proof that he didn't love the Lord. It's proof that even the ones who love him, even the ones who live good lives, we all fail. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's true, even a man of God, even a woman of God, even a disciple who loved Jesus and walked hand in hand with him and witnessed his miracles failed and sinned and fell short of God's glory. And I don't know about you, but I've never faced crucifixion for saying that I know Jesus. And that's what Peter was facing. So instead, sometimes of, de- of developing this attitude of, oh, I'm going to separate myself from this story and this doesn't apply to me, why don't we take a look at our own lives and ask, where have I denied the Lord? Where have I failed? Because Peter denied Jesus with his words, and that's a bad thing. But don't you know, sometimes we deny him with our lifestyle. We may not out loud deny him, but we deny him with our actions, with the things that we do. So that's my challenge to you as we start this message. Don't separate yourself from Peter. Don't put yourself on the pedestal. Look inside and say, where have I denied him with how I've lived? 
Where have I failed him? Am I holding on to a sin, to a habit that is separating me from the Lord? Am I fostering relationships that are unhealthy, that are not of God? Am I, maybe I'm not really living that bad, but I'm just doing life on my own terms and I'm doing what feels right to me and I'm not seeking God and I'm outside of his will. Has my mind or my attitude or my heart or my thoughts, have they shifted away from the Lord and towards the world? Lord, show us in here today. Search our hearts, Lord, and point out to us any area in which we have failed and denied you. Amen. Amen. Let's move on. That's a tough point, number one. Point number two won't be much better. Would you turn to Luke chapter 22? (laughs) We're going to read another account of Peter's denial. This was Luke's account, obviously, Luke chapter 22. And this one contains one little uh, tidbit that the other gospels do not contain, but it is incredibly, incredibly interesting. To me, it adds a whole new light to this story that we read. So Luke 22, this is in verse 61. Verse 61, Peter had just denied Jesus for the third time. He had just heard the rooster crow. And then it says, listen to this, so powerful, 61. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Whew, that's not in the other ones, but that's a powerful image, isn't it? He looked at Peter. And suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. You will deny three times that you even know me. 62, and Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Point number two, Peter ran. He ran. You see, I believe that this point is just as powerful and just as detrimental to Peter's story and to our story as point number one is. Because point number one, again, he denied, he sinned, he fell short of God's glory just as we all do. But after he denied, he had this pinnacle moment where he's literally facing his Savior. And he has this choice, do I run to my Savior for forgiveness? Do I run in in sorrow and in grief? Do I stand by his side? Do I stand up and tell those guards, you know what, I did know him, and I did follow him, and he is my savior? Or do I turn, and do I run away? Do I run to the guilt, and to the shame, and to the condemnation? You see, the enemy's tactics are so much more powerful than we can realize. And I want you to listen to this and pay attention, because when we understand it, it brings a lot of power to our lives, because we know how the enemy works. Sometimes we think that the enemy's only goal is to get us into sin. If he just gets us into sin, that's his only job. And and part of that is true. But the enemy doesn't just want to get you into sin. He wants to get you into shame. I repeat a lot, but I'm saying that one again. The enemy doesn't just want you in sin. He wants to take it a step further and get you into shame. Because it's one thing to sin. And it is, I'm acknowledging this, it's a horrible thing to sin. We shouldn't sin. It is always wrong. But we know that when we sin, if we confess, the word of God tells us that he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all wickedness, right? That's who, who we know God is. But when we sin, and when the enemy then piles on shame, that shame can become a burden that is so heavy, that is so intense, that it will keep us down and keep us out rather than standing up and running to our Father. 
Anyone ever been there? My hand's the first one up, right? Sin and shame together are a killer. And here's what I want to tell you today. A lot of you may know this, but if you don't know this, again, this has the power to change your life. Write this down if you would. The Lord brings conviction. The enemy brings condemnation. The Lord, if you are a child of God, the Lord will bring you conviction. The enemy's job is condemnation. How many of you know that if you've given your life to Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit within you, he ain't going to let you live in happiness with that sin, right? You may be doing it, but there's going to be that desire within you, that, that conviction that says, I have to change, I have to stop this, I have to turn back to the Lord again. And let me just step to the side real quick and press pause on that sermon and give you a quick 30-second sermon here. This is tough. If you are in here and you are living in sin with no conviction and you're living in sin with bliss and it's no problem and it's not an issue at all, you better check yourself quick because you are likely on a path that will lead you to the hot place. That's not me being, you know, fire and brimstone. That's truth. That's the word of God, right? All right. Pause on that one, and and I'll get back to the other message here, right? When we have Christ within us, there is conviction. There is hope within us. With conviction, there is hope. With condemnation, there is hopelessness, okay? When we are convicted, there's that thing inside that says, I need to change. I need to go back to the Father I need to stop this. I need to be restored. I need to seek his face again. You're not happy, but there's still hope. With condemnation, it turns into, what's the point even? I'm never going to live for God. I'm never going to get free from this. I'm never going to be restored. I'm never, ever going to have hope again. Why not just sin? Why not just stay in it? Why not just sit down and give up because there is no hope? And I am here to tell you that if that is you, that shame and condemnation is never from God and it is not too late and you are not beyond hope. It is not too late and you are not beyond hope, never, ever. Because why? Because nothing separates us from the love of Christ. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of Christ. Let's look at 1 John 3 verse 1. 1 John 3, 1, I love this. It says, see what love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know it is, does not know us is that it did not know him. Peter had that choice to let that conviction turn him to the arms of the Father or to run into the shame and the guilt, and the condemnation. And each one of us has that choice just about every single day, right? So I encourage you, if the enemy has trapped you in that, if you are in a place where you have just become complacent, where you are just in this horrible rut of of just sin and sadness and that shame and that condemnation, look up because there is hope on the horizon. There always, always is, and we always have to hold on to that. Yes, the Lord brings conviction, but that conviction always has hope for restoration. Amen? Amen. So let's move on. We're going to move into some hope in these points. So moving on from this story, as many of us know, Jesus died. Jesus was resurrected. 
He appeared before his disciples and he gave them the great commission. But later on in the word of God, he appears before his disciples another time after he's risen from the dead. This is in John 21. Would you turn to John uh, chapter 21, verse 3? Something interesting happens. A really neat encounter takes place here in John 21, 3 through 7, when Jesus visits his disciples. Verse 3, it says, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Now, I want you to remember that right there for later on. It seems very insignificant, but it is significant. Remember those words. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out into their boat, but they caught nothing all night. Verse 4, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Isn't it interesting that Jesus repeated his miracle? That's how Peter was called in the first place, and he repeats it here. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, listen to this, he put on his tunic, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. Point number three, Peter jumped. He jumped. Now, I'm going to go just a little bit deep here, and I want to ask you to stay with me. Earlier, I told you to remember a line from that scripture. What was that line I told you to remember? I'm going fishing. Anybody in here love to fish? Okay, anybody would like to tell your boss tomorrow morning, I'm going fishing, see ya, right? I love to fish. I'm I'm an avid saltwater fisherman. I absolutely love it. In fact, I returned from a trip a couple weeks ago uh, that I caught my best trout I had ever caught. I'm not bragging, but if you insist, I'll show you a picture. Again, that's not me bragging, but he was 28 inches, which is technically trophy size, so I caught a trophy fish, but I'm not bragging. But if you insist, I have one more picture I'll show you. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, all right. All right, put that down. Good. Yeah, put it down. So (laughs) for us, for me, for a lot of people in here, we view fishing as as a hobby. It's something fun. I love to get on my kayak with a a rod and reel and live bait and, and catch a fish like that. It's a fun experience. Back then, for people who were fishermen, it was not a hobby. It was a way of life. Stay with me here. What was Peter before he became a disciple? He was a fisherman, right? And Jesus told him to leave that behind, and I will make you fishers of men. But yet, here Peter was, and he was fishing again. And that fishing that they did was not the fun kind with the rod and reel. They dropped their nets down into the water, and they'd haul up their cast, right? And they'd move around all day looking for fish. And they weren't looking for the trophy fish. They were looking for how many pounds they could get. Because if they didn't get enough pounds of fish, they didn't put food on the table, right? That's what they did day in, day out. He had his nets in his hand again. You see, for Peter, this fishing wasn't a hobby. It wasn't something for fun. It was his way of life. His entire life before, if you were a fisherman, was centered around fishing. So you see Peter saying, I'm going fishing. That wasn't him just saying, I'm going fishing. That was him saying, I'm going back to my old life. I'm picking up what I had before. I was called to be a fisher of men, 
But here I am again with my net in my hand, fishing once again, back to his comfort zone, right? Back to his same old, same old, back to what he had always known. Some of us in here are in the same place that Peter was. We are right back to the comfort zone. We are right back to that rut, to the same old, same old, to just going through the motions. Maybe you're like Peter and you ran from God and now you don't really know how to get back. Maybe you've just gotten complacent and lazy. Maybe you're dealing with fear or with doubt or with worry or with issues or troubles or sin that you can't seem to get rid of. Maybe you've lost your touch with the Holy Spirit. And what's so interesting is that once again, we see that Peter was faced with that same choice that he had before, right? Earlier, we read about Peter standing and he was facing Jesus. And he had the choice to run to Jesus or to run into shame. Well, here he is again facing Jesus. Jesus is on the shore. Do I hold on to my net? Do I stay in my boat? Do I stay in the comfort and the guilt and the shame? Or do I jump out to my Savior? He had that choice. And in that second pinnacle moment, Peter had to rise up and say, you know what? Forget the shame. Forget the guilt. Forget these nets. Forget the fish. Forget my boat. I'm jumping in. I am running back to the arms of my father. That was the point that he had got to. I'm done with the boat. I'm done with the shame. I am jumping back in. So here's my question for you today as we enter into the year 2021. Will you stay in your boat or will you jump? Ask yourself that. Am I going to stay in my boat? Am I going to hold on to these nets or am I going to jump? I don't know what your boat is, but you do. Your boat may be sin. It may be a habit that you have not let go of. Your boat may be an unhealthy relationship that it is time to end. Your boat may be your mind. Maybe your mind has just become negative and bitter and cynical and critical and angry or whatever it may be. Maybe your boat is your comfort of your old ways of your old life. Maybe your boat is fear or worry or doubt. Whatever it is, each of us has the choice to stay in our boat, to hold on to our nets, or to jump out and to swim to our Savior. It's a question I have to ask myself almost every single day of what I'm going to do. It's time to reset. So Peter swims to the shore as I'm coming to a close here. He's swimming to the shore, and the disciples pass him up in the boat. They're rowing. They're like, Peter, that's a little bit much, bro. You could have just <laughs> rowed in the boat with us, but okay. <laughs> so they get to the shore, and they eat breakfast together. And after they eat breakfast, Jesus kind of pulls Peter to the side and has this really special moment. John 21, verses 15 through 19. 21, 15 through 19. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. He has this moment. Point number four, my final point of this sermon, is that Peter reset. This right here, this moment with Jesus, was Peter's reset moment. This was his way of turning off the, turning off the old and all the junk and the shame and the guilt and his boat and his nets and entering in to the new. It was his reset. You may be thinking, well, how? These are some of the most confused scriptures in the entire word of God. People don't really understand them. They don't understand the whole, you know, ask it three times, and there's not much of an explanation afterwards. So I want to give you real quick just a quick explanation of Peter's reset right here of how we interpret this. First, the first significant thing from this interaction, first, number one, is that Jesus asked Peter this question three different times. It's hard to understand. Why would he ask him three times? He asked him three different times. Now, I want you to think, this is just how cool our God is. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three different times. For every time that Peter denied For every time that he had failed and that he had denied his Savior, he got another chance to look his Savior in the eyes and say, I love you one more time. Isn't that the God we serve? That significance that, you know what, despite the failure, his love always wins. The love of Christ always wins in our life, and that's what Peter was experiencing. The second significant thing in this interaction here is the different definitions of love. Man, this one's really interesting. In the English language, we read this, and it uses the word love three different times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It's not that way in the original Greek translation. The first two times Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you agape me? That's the love of God. That is the love for your Savior. Savior, He is asking Peter, Peter, do you love me as your Lord? But the third time, he says, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you phileo me? Phileo is a brotherly, a love of friendship. So what on earth does that mean? That means that Jesus was asking Peter the first time, Peter, am I your Lord? The second time, Peter, am I your Lord? But the third time, Peter, am I your friend? Jesus has a way of getting to the root of the issue, doesn't he? We say, you know, Jesus is our Lord, and we sing it and all that. Are we a friend of God? Am I a friend of God? Is Jesus close like a brother to me? Do I know him as I should? That's what he was asking Peter right here. And then finally, the last significant thing here is that statement, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus is saying, you know what, Peter? If you love me, if I am your friend, get off of those boats and feed my sheep. Get away from your comfort. Get away from what you've already known and get in to what my will for your life is. That's what he's telling him right here to feed my sheep. And I want you right now, I'm going to ask the band to come up to the stage, and I want you to ask yourself right now, do I love the Lord? Am I his friend? And then finally, if the answer of that is yes, then the solution is to step out of the boat.
The solution is to get in line with his will and his desire for your life. So many people, and and I want you to listen to this, so many people say, well, Jordan, that sounds good, but I don't know his plan for my life. You want me to get in will, but I don't know what God's plan is. And I want you to understand that it is not about having a perfect plan. It is not about having the perfect plan. Jesus did not give Peter a little 10-year plan of all that you're going to do this and go here. All he said was one thing, feed my sheep. What the Lord desires is our heart. He desires our surrender. And it's okay if you don't have a five-year plan. Most of the time, the disciples didn't have a five-minute plan. The apostle Paul said, the only thing I know is that death and suffering lie ahead of me. But it didn't matter because what God is asking for is your heart, is your surrender, is that act of saying, Lord, no longer my will, no longer my boat, no longer my nets, but yours. Whatever door you open, I'm walking through it. And whatever door you close, I'm staying away from it. It's what he desires. Would you stand up to your feet with me today? Can I ask my pastors and prayer partners to come down to the front and band? Y'all can start playing if you want to. Y'all, today as we come to an end of this year, it is time to reset. I know that there are so, so many people in here that it is long past due, past your time to reset. To remember, number one, that we've all fallen short. To take a look at our lives and ask, Lord, where have I denied you? Where have I failed you? Number two, some of us in here have been running, caught up in guilt, caught up in shame, running back to the old life, running back to your comfort zone, whatever it may be. And it's time for people in here today to jump out of your boat, to drop those nets once and for all, and to drop your comfort in those habits, to reset, to let go of the old, and to jump into the new. If you're in here today and you need prayer for anything whatsoever, if you need to surrender your life to Christ, if it is time to jump out of your boat, if it is time to surrender again, if it's time to reset right now, I want to ask you to step out and to receive prayer in here today. If you need prayer, step out right now and receive it. And if you don't, I invite you just to worship and praise the Lord with us in here.